You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. Welcome. My name is Pastor Scott. So glad to be with you here on Easter Sunday. Uh, the reading that you just heard was a reading from the book of John, chapter 11, the story of Lazarus. While Jesus was alive in his earthly ministry, he went to see his best friend who had died, and he actually raised him to life. This is uh, weeks before his own resurrection. And this will set the stage for us talking about dead things coming to life and this question that Jesus asked Martha that we're going to be dealing with this morning. Do you believe? Will you pray and we will begin. Father God, thank you so much for your Easter Sunday, for your resurrection life, for the life that springs from dead places. And Father, much as you gave your son to live the perfect life and to die on our behalf on Good Friday and to beat death on the cross and come alive, you're calling us all, Lord, as men and women, young and old in the room today, to receive your life living inside of us, your hope, your joy, your peace, the source of the life we crave. And all God's people said, amen. Message title this morning, Do You Believe? And one of my favorite books, I'll tell you, as a way of uh, introducing our message today, was a book I read this year called The River of Doubt, telling the story about Teddy Roosevelt. Now, Teddy Roosevelt, very interesting character, one of our great presidents, but in 1912, 1913, seeking his third term with a new party, he was badly defeated. And looking for a source of new life, he was looking for new challenge. So people gathered around him and said, hey, there's this adventure in South America. Um, we've seen the headwaters of this river, but we don't know exactly where it goes. They had reason to believe it ran about 500 miles, and it had this ominous name, Ria de Davida, the river of doubt. And so Roosevelt, looking for some purpose, looking to bond with his son and some of the other men around him, they, they sailed to South America. Because they were looking for something that would give purpose to his life. And, and the author of the book says, even in a time when great feats of discovery were almost commonplace, a descent of the 500-mile river of doubt would be audacious. Not only was the river unmapped, its length and direction unknown, and each whirlpool, rapid, and waterfall a sudden and potentially deadly surprise, but a course through a dense, tangled jungle that had a dark history of destroying the men who hoped to map it. So they knew the source of this river in 1913, the Rio de Vida, but it would take belief to take the journey. So Roosevelt went, and you'll have to read the book, they make it, but not without a ton of hardship. It's very interesting, as I was thinking about this text this morning out of John 11, this is a non-traditional Easter message to be preaching about Jesus' message outside Lazarus' tomb. A man named Lazarus is dead. And his sisters are distraught, two sisters, Mary and Martha, in a place called Bethany, which was a, a place of solace for Jesus because his best friends lived there. And so Jesus has heard that his best friend is dead, and he waits four days. The text is very specific in John 11. Jesus waits four days to come to see Lazarus, who is in a tomb. Now, four days is significant in ancient Jewish culture because four days was long enough for somebody to be really dead. Like, you're not just dead at four days. It's like your body's dead, and after three days, your spirit is left. So four days is significant because Jesus knows. He comes to see Lazarus, and he's like, all right, he's really dead. All right, he's really dead. And so he heads to Bethany to see his best friend. And Martha comes out. She comes running out, and she says these words in John 11 that were just read. Jesus, if you had been here, he would have lived. And then in the midst of this contrast, 
In the midst of literally being able to see one of his best friend's tombstone, his grieving sister saying, if you had showed up, he might have lived. Jesus has the audacity to preach this message. I, says Jesus, in the resurrection and the life. And then this question for her, do you believe? And that contrast, like I just need you to understand the setting. This question Do you believe given to Martha in the midst of her mourning, in the midst of her waiting, in the midst of not understanding what Jesus is going to do? She's deeply perplexed. And it's interesting that Jesus has the audacity to ask us if we'll trust him in the midst of unfinished lives and unfinished situations. And everyone here in the room this morning, you have your own story You have your own places of beauty and places that are distraught, waiting maybe for Jesus to show up. And Jesus, in the midst of that challenge, says, do you believe that I am the source of real life? I am the source of the resurrection and the life. And so our focus this morning, friends, is this question, do you believe? Because real belief causes us to cling to Jesus' life and take this journey of faith. Like Roosevelt and his men, they believed that the source of the river in Amazon had something for them, and they went and took the trip. And Christ is calling us, whether you're someone who's a little bit of a seeker this morning, you're not sure exactly where you're at, or people that have been Jesus followers for a long time, all of us in the room, Jesus calling this morning, do you really believe? Let's take a look at a couple of simple points to this text, and then we'll you know, kind of wrap up. But the first point that I want to bring up is Martha has all this fear and all this regret wrapped in this phrase, if only. These words that she says to Jesus, she comes rushing out. She leaves her mourning sister at home, mourning me, O-M-O-U. She's mourning. And Martha comes running out with these words, if only you had showed up. Martha has fear and she has regret and she comes running out to Jesus to say, Jesus, maybe you could have fixed some stuff. And Jesus says, you know, I'm going to bring a future hope, but I also want to bring a present tense hopefulness and joy to you, Martha. And I think that contrast of him speaking words of hope in the midst of her question and her mourning. And she says, well, yeah, I know some stuff. And Jesus said, yeah, but do you you believe? I'm calling you to a bigger life. Jesus says, you're thinking too small. Your brother will rise in the afterlife, but I came to fulfill what happens in the present tense. Being a person of hope in the present reality. Being a person of joy in the midst of people that we love suffering and situations being unfinished. Do you believe even while you journey, says Jesus? I'm looking for that kind of radical hopefulness. Do you believe it, says Martha, that you can be this person of hope in the midst of your present life? Because friends, real faith is measured by how we live. The stuff that we believe is measured by how we actually live. And Jesus wants more than us just ascending to belief for an afterlife. He wants to come and transform our life now. And one of my favorite authors says this, most people believe God is real, but few people actually live like it. The result is a widening gap between our theology and our reality. We let our circumstances get between us and God instead of letting God get between us and our circumstances. And so for Martha, she'll only know the hope that she longs if she experiences Christ. And though we believe we can have real abundant life, that Jesus says, I want to bring that life now. 
That's the source of the intimacy in your marriage you're hungering for. That's the source of the relationship with your children that you hunger for. That's the, the source of a purpose in your life that I hunger for, says Jesus. This is the life I'm calling you to in the midst of unfinished business. If only, if only. I was in high school and I, I was planning to go play professional or, well, maybe college football. You're like, really? Yeah, but just go with me. And this is a true story. I'm 42, but back in my prime, I was 6'4 and ran a 4'2. And, <laughs> and I have these hopes. I'm 17 years old. And cleaning a fish one day, because I was a salmon fisherman in the summer, I cut most of this finger off. And I was, I was kind of seeking Jesus a little bit. I had this young life leader that would talk about Jesus to me. But I was kind of waiting for my life to happen. And my finger cut off. The, 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 all the nerves cut off. I had my hand packaged and, and in this full arm splint. And I couldn't work. The, the doctor said, you'll probably never play football again. I was planning to play. That was going to be my entrance into college. All these questions. And I got invited to this Young Life camp. And I'd been thinking about Jesus for a bit, but I got invited to this, this outreach camp to high school students. And I went to this camp, this bandage on, and I sat there and I couldn't do the other activities that many of the students were doing. And I just sat there. And, and these two words sat through my head all week long. If only. Jesus, if only I wouldn't have cut off my finger, then maybe I would have played college football. Jesus, if only I didn't have this cast on my hand, then I might not feel so ostracized around all these other 17 and 18-year-old students. Jesus, if only, if only, if only. And the speaker that week challenged me. Can you believe in Jesus in the midst of unfinished business? In the midst of being bandaged and splintered and not certain what will happen with your life? Jesus saying, can you believe now in the midst of the if-only situations? And that week, I opened up my heart and I said, Jesus, I believe. I don't know if I'll ever play football again. I don't know if I'll ever use this finger again. I don't know what's becoming of my life, but I need a source of real life. And it was transformational. If only can be places of transformation for us. If we're willing to put our trust in Jesus. And that's the second point of our two-point outline. Jesus says, I want you to enter the eternal state now, and he says it with this simple question, do you believe? John 11, verse 25 and 26, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Martha, do you believe this? Even while your brother is dead, she says, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And you know how the story ends? She's actually then deals with her sister, Mary, with great compassion. Jesus wept, because when we hurt, Jesus hurts. And then he goes, and he raises Lazarus from the dead. And it's a precursor to Christ's own resurrection. Later in John, Jesus would give his life for us. The power and glory to the Father came as he laid down his life. And then three days later, he beat death, because death could not hold him. And Jesus says this question to Martha, do you, do you believe? And she says, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Messiah. She's moved from wondering about him to believing in him. And this is really the gospel story. This is what the Bible hangs upon. Romans 5, God demonstrated his love for us while we were sinners. He died for us, that we shall be saved by his life. And unlike Martha, who got to see Jesus and was asked to believe in the midst of unfinished business of what was going to happen with her brother, we all now, 2,000 years later, we have the benefit of the doubt. 
We know that Jesus rose again. We know that he bore himself as a witness to over 200 people, that he went to doubters and said, hey, put your hands in my wounds. And that little cadre of believers, about 200 people in Israel 2,000 years ago, was so transformed by Jesus' resurrection message, they spread his message around the world. Hundreds of millions of people now believe in Jesus as Lord because a few hundred people saw him and believed in the resurrection as the source of life and truth and power. Jesus says, I am real life. And resurrection is now if you believe. Calling all of us to be freed from places of addiction. Freed from places of brokenness. Freed from places of insecurity. Freed from places of of wondering what's happening internationally or nationally or personally. Jesus says, I want to free you from all of that. Yes, so in the afterlife we can spend forever together. But so that today you would have a source of life that's really life. A source of truth that's really truth. A source that you can use as your North Star for every journey you take. You know, this question of do you believe is an interesting one. Looked at uh, this, this scientist named Francis Collins. Now Francis Collins is interesting to me. He's currently the director of the National Institute of Health. He's a physician, he's a geneticist, he's the leader of the Human Genome Project that recently, as we know, they mapped out the 3.1 billion letters of the human genome. This guy is brilliant. He's brilliant. But he was looking for more than just the source of life in DNA, he was looking for a source of life for himself, this Francis Collins. And he says that a graduate student in physical chemistry in the 70s, I was an atheist, I found no reason to postulate the existence of any truth outside of mathematics, physics, and chemistry. But then I went to medical school and encountered life and death issues at the bedside of my patients. One day, challenged by one of my patients dying, looked at me and said, what do you believe, doctor? I, says Francis Collins, I began searching for answers. And he kept seeing at the beds of all these people he was ministering to, those that believed in Jesus Christ, had a belief not just for the afterlife, they had a source of hope in their present suffering. And it was was messing with him. This atheist who, he believed in science, but he said, what is this source of real life they seem to have? And so he started to search and answer questions. He says, what is the meaning of life and why am I here and why do humans have a moral sense? My science couldn't give me that. What happens after we die? Because reason alone cannot prove the existence of God. Faith is reason plus revelation. And the revelation part requires one to think with the spirit as well with the mind. You have to hear the music, not just read the notes on the page. Ultimately, says Collins, a leap of faith is required. In other words, he says... You can know stuff, but do you believe? And Francis Collins is on this search for God as a young man, and he comes to Washington State because, excuse me, he's from this area. One afternoon, he was hiking in the Olympic National Forest, and he was praying for, for God to make himself real and known for us. And he says, after resisting for nearly two years, I found it impossible to go on living in such a state of uncertainty, not knowing where my source of life was. I became a follower of Jesus. He got down on his knees in the middle of the Olympic National Forest and says, I want to believe. He continues to this day, says, I'm a scientist and a believer. I have no conflict between those worldviews. As a believer, I see DNA, the information molecule of all living things, as God's language. 
and the elegance and complexity of our own bodies and the rest of nature as a reflection of God's plan. In other words, he believed. He found Jesus as the source of life for transformation and hope. And it's fueled his science. It's fueled his, his discovery. It's fueled his family. He now goes around speaking about how an atheist scientist finds a source of real and transformation life. He believes. And friends, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is more than just something that we mentally ascend to. All of us in the room, we all have different stories. Some of us, we're, we're maybe outside of faith a little bit because of some death in our, in our heart. If something we've experienced, we have real tombstones in our life that that make it really difficult because these words, if only, just ring in our head all the time. And in the midst of what feels like unfinished business, Jesus asking, if only can be your place of deep transformation. Do you believe even while you wait? And others in the room, maybe we know the story, we've heard the story, it's another Easter here at, at church. Or maybe Christ is calling you this morning to, to wake up a little bit to breathe it in again a little bit. St. Augustine in the year 300, he preached a message on this John 11 and he looked around the room and he was calling out sin of the different people in his parish. And I'm not going to call out your sin, but uh, maybe you, no, no, I won't, anyone. But he's like, hey, we need to rise again. We need to rise again. We need to rise again. Jesus didn't just come for a message for the end. He came for hope now, for a source of life now and peace now and truth now. And so in a moment, friends, I want to pray. And I want to ask you this question. Do you believe? And I'm going to do this thing that's kind of quirky because we know that faith is really a lifetime pursuit. But friends, every great book starts with the first word. And maybe some of you this morning want to believe in Jesus for the first time. Or renew a sense that he's really calling you to be the Lord of your life. And I'm going to ask you if you want to kind of receive that in a new way. We'll close our eyes and pray and then I'll count to three. And if people say, you know, I, I feel like God is stirring me in a new way. I'm going to have you raise your hand so I can pray for you. And it's just a marker, not for people around you because we'll have our heads bowed. But it's a marker to Jesus that you want this source of life to continue to transform you. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we thank you for the people gathered in the room this morning. We thank you that you gave your son that could beat death and his friend Lazarus that could beat death himself on Easter morning. We know that as we believe in Jesus, we enter into that forever life now. And Jesus, there's some people in this room this morning that you're stirring, that, that, that want to say yes to you. Towards this question, do we believe in you, Jesus? There's some people that want to say yes for the first time or for a new time. And Lord, I pray for courage for those that are sitting there this morning to, th to say, yes, I want to believe. And so friends, I'm going to count to three. And if you want to enter into a new or renewed relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm going to have you just silently raise your hand where you sit. When I count to three, one Jesus, you are the author and perfecter of faith that comes to us in the midst of our if-only situations to bring life to. Do we believe, Jesus, you're giving us the option to answer? Three, will you raise your hand in your seat there if you want to enter into a new and renewed sense of Jesus? And I see some hands and Jesus sees you. 
And I want to encourage you, those of you that Jesus is knocking at your heart this morning. He sees your hands raised and he's giving glory because he knows that in the midst of your if-only situations, you're choosing faith this morning. He sees you. He believes in you as you're saying yes to belief in him. Lord God, as we continue in prayer and as we finish this Easter morning for us all, remind us that your resurrection life is real and transforming us as we all say we want to believe in you, Lord God. And all God's people said, amen. Will you stand with us as we continue in song? As always, as we close in song, there's prayer ministers down front. If you're longing to pray with someone about a new decision, about something God's doing in your life, come down forward in the wings. We want to pray with you. Let's close in song as a congregation.